As the claps go, so goes the show. <laughs> Oh yeah, did my What's civic up? duty. Got my coffee. Hell yeah! Yes. Sandwich in the back. Love it, it's man. A, it's a beautiful. It's a beautiful day for participating in some de- democracy, and also for participating in a podcast, namely mm-hmm. Gearbuds Podcast, episode seventy nine, mm-hmm. which is just a, it's just a big, big, scary number. I can't believe we've done so many of these things, but uh, I'm happy about it. Yeah, me sure. too, man. We're climbing. And let me tell you what else I'm pretty freaking happy about right now. We have another amazing guest on the phone with us this week, Ryan Deffitt. Hi, Ryan. Hey, Ryan. Hey, what's up, guys? Thanks Thank you so on. much for for joining us. I'm, I've I've had you I, I I've had you on the short list of folks that I want to have on the show probably since we started it. So I'm just like very excited we finally got to make that happen, man. Yeah, man. It's exciting to be here. Not sure what I'm in store for, but let's get it. <laughs> <laughs> we'll walk well, you through. Uh, it, I'm not sure if this is good or bad, but neither are we. Yeah, uh, that's what I figured. This, uh, yeah, I'm Henry. That's Dave. That's Ryan. Ryan is Ryan is an awesome musician, engineer, all around, just great dude, wonderful person. Uh, can't wait to dig into the things that you do and are doing and will do. But before we do that, <clears throat> we are going to get into some of our usual segments here and dive right into the symphony of corrections. Here is your weekly reminder that cables are tone tubes. Thank you, everybody, far and wide, uh, the 50-plus countries of listeners that we have, which is just like a fucking crazy thing to be able to say, but it's true. I have receipts that I can show you. Um, <laughs> if you're not already, follow us on Instagram, Gearbuds Podcast, Facebook, Dave, with the fucking meme game on lockdown over there, I got to say. It's just an, a daily chuckle just over bringing the happiness, Facebook. bringing the happiness to Facebook. It's all I can do right maybe, now. Maybe it's a little information, but usually it's just something fun and light yeah. and goofy, and, and, and we need that sometimes. Absolutely. Subscribe, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google. Uh, oh, I do have an update. I love having updates for this. GearbudsPodcast.com slash free stuff. Uh, Ryan, you're probably hip to this already, but I just recently found out about this company called Melda Production that puts out these like very, very useful free plugins. A lot of them, in fact. Mm. Um, mostly sort of... Um, utility type things you know pans and trims and gains and uh analyzers uh meters that sort of thing but some they do also have time-based and convolution whatever type of uh, plugins that you could need uh and they're all free they're they do have a sort of um donation or, or kind of more sponsor model that you can use but apparently they've been doing this for like over 10 years it's a, a check company so i haven't i downloaded they have like an, an easy way to download a full pack of all the the plugins but i have not actually used them yet however i have heard good things so melda production uh i will put a link i had not page. heard of that and i just bookmarked it so thanks Boom. <laughs> nice. that's what we're here for uh, going to get into bad fucking ideas, which is my favorite uh, current sub-segment. Uh, this is actually a good idea. Uh, I saw that Superbooth uh, 2021 was rescheduled for uh, May of 2021, and they're doing uh, all you know virtual with all distance properly enacted. So we're starting to get some news about some of the big uh, conventions and, and music shows that are happening in the future. And it seems like, for the most part, folks are, are taking a good approach to actually being able to do that kind of stuff. What is, what is Superbooth? I haven't heard of that before. It's sort of, you know, it's somewhere in the in the AES, NAM, CES mm-hmm. thing, but smaller scale and more so about, uh, about like tech and, and 
uh, music synth synthesizer technology and that sort of stuff. Oh, right. Yeah. Um, a little bit, a little bit less broadly focused, like something like Nam or whatever. Cool. Uh, ooh, this is I'm excited about this, which is the sub sub segment where I just kind of talk about funny stuff that I see on Craigslist <laughs> uh, constantly. Um, so this our 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 favorite poster who we have talked about a number of times in the past is back, and uh, this this time the the subject line is just biggest moron. And and then he goes on to talk about how, and it's the same stuff that he complains about all the time. People, you know, over asking for prices or whatever. Um, but it, I find it very entertaining. And I'm again, I, I had to just do a little screenshot and read a little bit of this for you because it's so good. Uh, World World Sir Guitar Guy is pretty dumb, but wow, the moron from Displays with the kids Sorrento guitar has about ten ridiculously overpriced guitars. So he's extra stupid. But I guess the idiots enjoy just posting over and 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 over. This dude is so. And I could, I really could keep going on and over and not a sale in sight. Poor, poor idiot. Wow. And 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 again, I all I'm asking is if you're also a Craigslist user in the Chicago area, don't flag these posts because, yeah, there's it's a victimless crime, and frankly, I find it very, very entertaining to call this guy out. So. I would see all man. Thank you. I'd like to note that he used no punctuation whatsoever in that uh, paragraph, I guess, if you want to call it that. There, there was one uh, misuse of ellipses where he put like 10 dots. Oh, yeah. Of three. <laughs> oh, this guy rules, uh, man. I love it. Yeah, I love it. And the only other the only other bellyache I have about Craigslist this week is people overusing caps lock. I don't mm. think that that does anything to bring more attention to your posts. All it does is kind of just like upset my eyeballs. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm not going to buy something. It's not going to stand out to me because you're using all misusing all caps in your posting. So like, let's just not yell at each other. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I may have been guilty of that before, I'm sure, in my in my earlier days of, of selling things. You know, maybe if like in the the body of the posting, you want to capitalize a couple things to call attention to that you want to call attention to. I get that. So, you know, it's like it's like it's like using an exclamation point without having to, right. which is fine. The world's but, scary uh, enough. Like, don't yell at me <laughs> when I'm trying to buy especially stuff. especially yeah. about your literally. I have a couple of copy or a couple copied here. Red metal flake factory finish Squire Fender. Like what? What that needed to be in all caps? I don't think so. But. <laughs> yeah, well, they, right. they don't know that when everything's in caps, then it just blends together anyways. So it's almost harder to read that way. You know, exactly. We have we have capitalization for a reason. Yeah. let's use it. Absolutely. Highlighting the whole book. Ex- exactly. Yes. Uh, that was bad fucking news. I've got some good fucking news. Um, I, you guys might have seen this story uh, that I just wanted to mention because it made me feel good about the the uh, Scottish busker and Jack White. Did you all hear about this? No. There was this guy, I, 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 Grant something, I don't remember his last name, or maybe Grant was his last name. All I wrote down was Grant. But anyways, he's this busker, the Scottish dude. And this the story is that he was out, and you know it's the way that he makes his, his living and income and whatever. And this woman uh, accosted him and then smashed his acoustic guitar on the street. <clears throat> oh. And so uh, he started a GoFundMe, and it kind of uh, blew up. And it, it got it was like over 4,000 pounds, I believe, even though you know it's not even nearly what he was asking. Right. Well, anyways, the guy goes, buys a new acoustic guitar, got the guitar that he really wanted and everything um in the meantime jack white catches wind of this going down uh contacts the music store that like somehow they found out he was going to be shopping at or whatever tells the music shop owner hey basically like let the guy buy whatever he wants so so not only did the guy like already get this gofundme money to get the the acoustic that he wanted Mm -hmm. but because of jack white being pretty fucking awesome he uh, also now has a custom shop strat of his dreams for free wow that's super cool man jack white is the shit lately dude like he's just been 
he kind of re reemerged like out of nowhere. And then with that Saturday Night Live thing, and then you hear stories like this. I mean, he's really the, uh, he's the people's musician. I feel like, you know, mm-hmm. well said people's musician. I'd buy into that. Uh, I did have to pick, pick one quote from this story because, um, I'm just, I mean, you'll, you'll understand why after I say it, Grant eventually picked a Fender Stratocaster and said he plans to email white to say thank you after s- discovering that white does not have a phone. Oh, of course he doesn't. Which that's I awesome. love that yeah. so much. That is, I mean, if I could, if I could do that, I would love to not have a phone yeah. for sure. Oh wow, that's yeah, that's so, pretty crazy, man. There it is. Uh, oh, I guess also happy birthday, Rob Trujillo. Oh, uh, Rob Trujillo, fifty-six One of today. My favorites. Wow. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure if the fact that Rob Trujillo being fifty-six makes me feel old or young, or the fact that he's been in Metallica for like almost twenty years now. Yeah, it's just that it's, I don't. That one will get. I mean, some kind of monster was what. Like early 2004. 2000s? Yeah. Oh, four, I want to say. Whatever, man. It's crazy, crazy times we're living in. A uh, couple quick little gear things. I This is this actually looks super cool. Um, Novation put out a special edition base station synth, but it's called the AFX station because it's a collaboration with Aphex Twin, and I am super stoked about that Dang. because I love me some Aphex oh, Twin. Shit, man. It's called the Novation AFX station two or something like that oh, um, i'm not sure if it's out yet but i listen to some demos and it and, and it and it does the apex twin thing so that's a pretty sweet little trick uh oh this was also pretty cool too um well i guess i guess it's de- cool is de- a debatable term but behringer announced their clone of the arp 2600 is going to be coming out soon which you know arp 2600 is this like unobtainium vintage super expensive big old synth behringer mm-hmm. of course cloned it for and they're selling the reason i'm even mentioning is because they're selling it for 5.99 yeah which is just like whoa that's worth checking to out get for sure a you know fifteen thousand dollar synth yeah for like six hundred dollars is like well, it is it is sort of potentially unethical. Uh, I feel weird about the Behringer Model D that I own and, and the questionable yeah, I have that too. construction practices. Oh, you do? Yes. I mean, it sounds fucking awesome, yeah, but I also crazy. know that it was made under not great circumstances and, mm-hmm. and basically steals IP from Moog, a company that I love quite a bit. So. Exactly. I also can't, I can't afford a Voyager or an old Model D, so you know, right. I paid like a couple hundred bucks for the Behringer version. So if that's coming out, I'm, I'll probably, I mean, I, at the very least, I want to play it. I hey, don't know if I'll buy it outright. Buy used, maybe, you know, support someone else who could use it some bucks instead of buying right from the company. Yeah, that's that's a great way to go about it. I, yeah, that's how I, I got and, all my and, you know, you know, You know they're going to be making a buttload of them, so they will immediately mm-hmm. show up on the used market for yeah, sure. Yeah, for sure. Uh, oh, did you guys ever use the, uh, the, the app um, SoundHound before? Mm, I don't think no. so. No. Sounds. So I I don't know if it still exists, but it, it like I I had it a long time ago, and basically it's like Shazam, where you know you play, you open it up, and it and it plays a song, and a song's playing, and it'll tell you what it is. Soundhound was the first one that I knew about, and then I used to use where you could fucking uh, hum into the app, and then it'll tell you. Like I remember, I remember I couldn't figure, I I didn't know what the name of dun 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 dun. Dun, 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 was and I and I hummed mm-hmm. it into SoundHound yeah. and it was like oh Carmina Barana and so anyways Whoa. now Google has offered that in their search wow. you can there is now Google hum to search That's where you funny. can literally hum into fucking Google now and you know if its algorithm can figure it out or if you're close enough it'll tell you what <laughs> song you're humming I wonder how I, many I, like, I yeah. love that like how, I wonder how many like tone deaf people are trying to like hum into it and they just they cannot find it you know. <laughs> Oh my oh, god! Just has if no you idea. Could listen back to this to the search results from that. that yeah, would be awesome. It's like Dude, totally one of my friends song. has been using me as his Shazam, or like me and a couple other friends. He's like, "Hey, what's this song?" And he lives in 
Portland. So he'll send us a voice memo, like recording yeah. of him singing awesome. it. And he's like, guys, what is this? And we've How gotten them all. How often do you get it? Really? I've, oh, all of them. I've gotten Whoa. like two out of four or something. Some That's other friend got man. another one. Oh, That's yeah. It's a fun game. I would Super love fun. to be a part of that chain. But yeah, th- awesome. he doesn't need me anymore, I guess. Yeah, you have been replaced by Google as all things eventually will be. So. <laughs> exactly. There you go. Uh, last thing uh, here before we, we move on, as always, uh, please, if you haven't already, visit saveourstages.com. It's super important. You can actually make a difference by contacting your congresspeople, and they make it very easy for you to do that there. And, hey, if you've got some extra scratch that you can donate while you're there, that would be helpful for the hundreds of thousands of people across the globe in our industry who are hurting. Cool. That has been the symphony. Now I get to say my two favorite words every single week. Dave's Docs. Yeah, man. I got to say something, man. Amazon has been coming in hot with the docs lately. I don't know if they re-uploaded like a whole new set, but I get excited when I see the new featured docs on Amazon Prime. Um, And, you know, last week we did the... uh, uh, David Bowie's guitarist, which was fucking, Ronson, yeah, indeed. fucking Ronson. That was like an excellent, excellent documentary. Um, I saw this one last week as well, so it was kind of a, a coin flip to see which one I was going to watch first. Um, now I did Brian Jones a couple weeks ago, you know, and that was Stone stuff. Well, there's another Rolling Stones ish documentary about their uh, their old and probably one of the greatest saxophone players of all time, Bobby Keys. Do you guys are you guys aware of Bobby Keys at all? Mostly, yeah. So I didn't familiar. realize. I knew he toured with the Stones in like the early '70s. He played on. He played the famous solo on uh, Brown Sugar, which is like it's an unbelievable mm-hmm. sax solo. I am not a sax guy. Like I, I am not a horn section guy. But the way this dude approaches <laughs> um, music is like everybody was like he, he's more of like a guitar player with a saxophone. Like just the way he kind of his attack yeah. and you know just the way he he can play with these rock bands. Um, so Sick. the movie's called Every Night's a Saturday Night. It's the story of Bobby Keys. Uh, he was like a Texas boy, grew up, um, left high school when he was like 15 to go basically like tour with um, this, you know, bunch of musicians. It was kind of, you know, those circuit tours where they'd throw like eight or nine acts on a bus and they'd go travel around, you know. Oh, yeah. Um, well, you know, Buddy Holly was on that tour. Like there's like a lot of a lot of famous guys. Basically, it turns out this guy has played with pretty much everybody you've ever heard of from like the 60s and 70s. Like, I mean, it was crazy. Yeah, he moved to L.A. and kind of just like played in a few bands. And then it's all about who, you know, like he he started in this band called Delaney and um, Delaney and Bobby. Oh, Delaney and Bonnie. Yeah. uh, Yeah. With uh, Eric Clapton. Yeah. Sorry. That was my uh, spell check. (laughs) Yeah. uh, (laughs) Yeah. Eric Clapton, you know, after that, you know, went to Derek and the Dominoes. Um, George Harrison played with them a little bit. Dwayne, Dwayne Allman, Graham Parsons. I mean, like. You know, the fucking the who's who of musicians like like sat in with that band all the time. And they showed some footage from that band and they ripped, man. Like it was really cool stuff. Um, and then he then he met like Joe Cocker through all that. He toured on the Mad Dogs and Englishman tour, which is a great record that I have here. So I was kind of excited to see that. And then, like I said, he you know, then he met or he kind of met the Stones already. He kind of knew some of those guys. But basically, they're like, dude, you know, he would so what he would do is like they'd be in the same studio and he would just walk into people's sessions and be like, hey, if you guys need a sax, like let me know. And he said he that actually worked like a bunch of times. And one of the times was he walked in on on their session and they were like, all right, you know, we're doing Let It Bleed, come on in and like play on Brown Sugar. And then like basically as soon as he played on that, they're like, okay, you need to like join our band and we're we're not even going to sound the same without you playing with us. 
So he really like, you know, stapled himself into that group. Um, you know, they recorded uh, Exile on Main Street. He toured with them before that. And then after Exile, they went and they did like the world, like the famous like 1972 U.S. world tour, which was an absolute party. They had, you know, private plane. He was quite the, quite the party man with the Stones. And, um, you know, it turned out that like he got a little too into the druggies. And, um, you know, basically like... I specifically remember in life, you know, that book with the Keith Richards, Keith Richards book, um, oh, yeah. Keith would talk about, he's like, we would hide drugs in his saxophone. Like they would just shove bags of drugs <laughs> down inside of it so they could travel through airports God. and shit. Crazy, it's, man. Uh, t- tone blow. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy, dude. Um, you know, and then basically he left the stones cause he was like, I'm getting way too fucked up. Uh, they were like, dude, we have a gig tonight. And he was just in a bathtub filled with like champagne and women, and he was like, I'm not going to make it, guys. And then after that, yeah, and then after that, Mick was like, well, you know, we're done here. Like, you're never playing with us again. Um, you know, he bailed, like, the day of a gig, so never really played with them again. Um, I made a small little list of, of famous people that he's ever played with. Um, Elvis, to start. Um, Faces, B.B. King, Dr. John, Warren Zevon, John Lennon, Marvin Gaye, Harry Nilsson, and Elton John. Ooh. I mean, like, Literally the, the never who's... heard of them. Yeah, Vitalist. right. List. Um, so it was wow. almost like it's it's definitely one of those docs where you could watch it twice because they give you it's just so much information in one. Um, but I highly recommend quick, it. It's called quick question. I don't know if the, yeah. Oh, thank you. I was yeah. gonna ask. I don't know if we caught a name on that. Yeah, one. every night's a Saturday night. Um, you could look Ooh, for Bobby Keys. Love that. I know. I love the nice name, little right? nice little Saturday night. Yeah, and right, they, it was Ryan. like one of his quotes while they were doing <laughs> yes. the interview. Um, and again, it's an authorized doc. There's all like tons of real footage, all real music, um, interviews. It's I think he produced it, like him and his wife or his kid or something. Um, okay, so he's still alive. I was going to ask. No. I, I didn't know if it ended in a ball. No, in, you it's know, actually, a, this is what's crazy, fire. dude. I didn't know until the end. He passed away in 2014. Um, this movie just came out. So they've obviously been working on it for a long time. All the interviews with him. I mean, he's telling the whole story. He's totally like, you know, one of those like good old boys from Texas, you know, just kind of a goofy dude drinking a beer, telling stories about being on the road. And uh, it's super intimate. Really, really good doc, man. So. Dude, all right. Well, uh, favorite question to ask you then: What's your totally arbitrary ranking of uh, this particular Dave's doc? Yeah, I got to give it a, a four point seven five out of five sax solos, man. Ooh. Absolutely. Yeah, it's high. Up. I think that I it's think quality. that might be the highest sax solo ranking yet. It's going to be the only sax solo ranking, most likely, because like I, like I said, man, I'm not a huge you know horn section guy. I love it when it's added, but you know it's also one of those things where it can get real annoying really fast and Oh, this, dude. Well, what about come on. What about train? Give me a, give me a little little, little cold train in the morning. Yeah, no, I love I love some jazz, man. You know, but like rock sax can mm. can you know rock sax. It's, can a, be, it's an interesting thing. Yeah, and that's why this guy was so special because he really was like probably the best and probably the only one who could really do it like he did it. So, you know, I can th- I can think of one good example uh, that I like. Uh, and that is, do you, do you all ever get into the psychedelic furs? For sure. I've, yeah, I've listened to them for sure. Yeah, so the, I mean, their sax is like pretty central to the music, and I have to have to add that um, I've gotten to play in a project with Mars Williams, said wow. sax player, um, and he's an awesome dude. Uh, oh, so that's sure. so cool. Definitely, that's fucking super awesome. Into that. Hell yeah, really, man. really cool guy. We'll we'll have him on the show sometime. You know, maybe nice. maybe a little bit. Dave, you know, I want to say really quick. Um, I don't want to embarrass you too much, but man, you've really you've, you're just your your Dave's docs have gotten so so much more developed and oh, and you. interesting uh, throughout the time of this podcast. I just wanna I just wanna say you know. Good job, man. Oh, I appreciate uh, that, man. And, and if that's too inspire, uh, too uh, too fucking you know uh, embarrassing, I'll delete this or whatever. But no, no, say, I, not at I, all. I got a lot out of that one, and now and every time 
you just make me want to watch these documentaries that I'll probably never get around to. Hey, man. Yeah. I mean, it's it's one of those things, you know, sometimes it's not as e- easy to like try to watch a movie like, you know, every week and like actually like take it in and not just kind of have it on in the background. But uh, yeah, right. But it's fun, man. And I'm learning a lot, dude. Like this. I mean, I went back and listened to like Let It Bleed again and I listened to Exile on Main Street again and like. You know, I'm obviously a huge Stones fan anyways, but to go back and then listen for his parts and be like, oh, wow, this is this is fucking gold, you know, <laughs> so it's pretty, uh, pretty inspiring stuff. So sick, dude. Good job. Well, I have a I have a big announcement for you, actually. Oh. Uh, it's a big day around here because today, uh, episode 79, we are officially retiring the Riff Library. OK. And, and we're doing that because I'm just changing the name of it. Oh. Uh, is no longer going to be known as Riff Library. Henceforth, shall sh- shall be known as Hank Hits. Okay. <laughs> uh, because I just felt like though I wanted to get my name in. You've got Dave's Docs. Yeah, that jives. I wanted to brand. I wanted to brand it a little bit. And um, I feel like because Riff Library started for our old school listeners as where I was talking about a different book, book. that I read every right. week, and that got really unsustainable for sure. So uh, <laughs> that quickly ch- turned into me talking about my favorite records. Uh, now we're just going to call it Hank Hits from. Movie I love it, now, man. I think that's All right. even better, dude. And a book a week. Yeah, yeah, that was intense, man. You're, I, when you started doing that, I was like, "Are you really going to read a book a week?" And you're like, "Yeah, man, I got this." I mean, I kind of do that, but it's it's just it's more so one of those things where like I don't want to have to read a music book every week. Yeah, you, right. you know, sure. Uh, like I sometimes just want to like I just you know read Moby Dick. That I did not do that in a week, uh, mind you. But, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, anyways, Speed Hank. Hits. Oh, ooh, other thing before before we get into my selection for this week, I want to quickly mention uh, our one of our most all-time favorite guest, Mr. Mike Maimoni, uh, his new record came out today. That's right. Uh, that we talked about on his episode a few weeks ago. So if you have not listened yet, when this comes out on Monday or henceforth, go favorite it on Spotify or buy it or whatever, because it's awesome and the songs are great. And they speak to the this sort of uh, isolated situation we're living in as it's called Isolation One. So yeah. Amazing uh, album. I actually, uh, I posted a link to that today on our Facebook. Uh, well, today's oh, Friday. Dude, good job. But if, that. You, uh, if, if you listen to this on Monday, um, you can go to our page and there's a spotify link there's a link to his website if you want to order a hard copy of the cd and all that good stuff so compact discs in the house well we're not going to talk about a compact Mm -hmm. disc here we're going to talk about a vinyl record that i have my hands right now and that is uh another i had a i had a hard time actually selecting which record to go with i decided that uh, this morning i was like I haven't done a Neil, a Neil Young record yet, which mm-hmm. is like bizarre considering how important his music is to me and always has been. Um, but anyways, I decided to go with After the Gold Rush this week because right. um, one, it's it's just one of my favorite records of all time, and, and two, it's the only uh, of his like Holy Grail records that I have an actual original pressing. So I'm very uh, proud of that, and I listened to it again this morning. It still sounds so good. Anyways, After the Gold Rush, it was Neil Young's third solo record. Uh, came out on Reprise in 1970. It actually peaked at number eight on the Billboard pop charts, which is very surprising to me. Like, I, it's kind of interesting to think about what constituted pop music mm-hmm. uh, in 1970 versus 2020. Uh, the story is, I guess, initial sessions, they did it at Sunset Sound, including with his band Crazy Horse, you know. Um, the I guess the story is that he somehow got his hands on this screenplay that somebody had written called the uh, I think it was just called After the Gold Rush uh, for this really weird movie that never actually came out and supposedly the the script has been lost to time mm-hmm. but that's sort of what inspired him to make this. Um, they wound up doing most of the tracking down in his actually uh, his basement in his home in uh, Topanga Canyon, but there's some really interesting things about how they made it. It's, I guess. 
I, you know, obviously I wasn't there, but the context is sort of that like after CSNY happened, all four of the members kind of then went over the next few years and made like their quote unquote sort of magnum opus right. solo records. Um, so this people kind of look at this as Neil's version of that, but it was his, his kind of his attempt to like combine crazy horse and CSNY because it has a bunch of the members of crazy horse, but then also Graham Nash is on it. Steven stills is on it. Cool. Um, and the the crazy thing that I definitely didn't know. So like, there's a couple of really famous piano songs on here, like "Only Love Can Break Your Heart," which I think love that, that song, that was a man. Single. Oh yeah, such a good song. Uh, one of one of my very favorites. Um, I'm trying to think what it's. Uh, there's there's a couple of really big piano songs. Well, anyways, Nils Lofgren is on this record. 18 year old mm-hmm. Nils Lofgren, who then went on to you know be in the E Street Band and a bunch of other stuff. But he's mostly known as a guitar player, and he played piano, and he was huh. not. A piano player, like he he knew sort of how to play piano, but but he was not a piano player. Um, so that <laughs> is a really this. interesting thing. I love that. Thing. Yeah. I love that too. That's such a '70s thing where they were like, he didn't really exactly. play drums, but yeah. he played drums on the record. And it's like what on one of this like most famous records. Of yeah, all time. exactly. Uh, also, another thing I didn't know. Speaking of only love can break your heart. Apparently, um, that is about Graham Nash having his heart broken by Joni uh, Joni Mitchell. Oh wow! Oh, wow! I had no idea. Didn't know that. Uh, yeah. So. I mean, for sure, definitely just like one of my one of my all time favorite albums that there's so many, every song. I mean, Southern Man's probably like the hardest rocking. It is a little bit more of like a folkier earlier kind of side of Neil. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, and, and, and when it came out, it was sort of it was liked, but maybe I guess, you know, you could say sort of lukewarm reception. But, um, you know, of course, in the meantime, it's gone on to be one of Hill is just like one of the greatest records of all time. It's on like every top 100 album list, you know, ever made. So, yeah, uh, if you've never if you've never listened to it i i highly highly recommend it it means a lot to me bust out your pono and uh listen to a little um uh, after the gold rush by do. Oh, yeah. i got a copy i'll probably have to throw that on today yeah now that you remind oh, me the- the 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 artwork I wanted to quickly touch on I didn't know this either so the cover is that sort of like famous photo of Neil walking and it's like solarized so it's mm-hmm. it looks sort of weird well I guess the story is that um, he the photo was taken and it was slightly out of focus so that was kind of like the way that they because Neil liked it and they wanted to use it but it's actually a crop and if you see the full wide image of the photo Graham Nash is also in that same picture but they just cropped him out no for shit the <laughs> cover yep so. What could have been? That's yeah. funny. All right. Who's, there's like a guy behind him too. I'm not sure yeah, what that's about. Oh, it's an old yeah, it's, lady. It was just an old woman. That's in front of the, the photos just in front of, I think it's like, it's in Manhattan. I, be, I want to say it's like some in front of some okay. like court building or something like that. Sounds uh, that about right. Took walking around that's funny because it's yeah. like it's such a california record and then like they're like let's do a photo in, in manhattan you know i love that yeah <laughs> you know and i and if you ever look at the back cover it's almost sort of like the kind of like hippie version of born in the usa where like there it's like bruce springsteen's ass with the you know flag or whatever <laughs> oh, jeans yeah. except it's like these like it's it's neil young's ass but it's like these like hippie pants with all sorts of like flower patches and paisley and stuff no all shit over them, which i would wear the shit out of oh, that's if awesome, I, you know, dude. could get them but uh, you know, sort of preempted Bruce by a decade and a half or so. <laughs> any any attempt, I, any chance I get to like sort of talk shit about Bruce Springsteen, I don't know why. I feel like I must <laughs> take it, but here we are. Here we are. All right, that's it. That's that. Let's one, uh, let's let, it's it's Ryan time. Let's uh, let's stop let's stop talking about my and our wants and needs, and let's start talking about yours. Hey, I love so hearing about we, Neil and everything. All the documentaries. Well, let's keep that going then. Uh, so what we like to do to, to sort of start to get to know you a little bit more is a segment we like to call a couple two-tree randos where we ask you a couple two-tree rando questions. So let's just get into that. Uh, if you could swap places with any band member of any band, 
past or present, living dead, doesn't matter your talent level or theirs, uh, who would that be and why? Wow. Oh, man, this is crazy. I I sort of <laughs> want to say, like, Mick Ronson, just to be there at, yeah, like, dude. the rise and fall, like, to see all that happen and, like, go on to work with Lou Reed and stuff, but never really be in the spotlight as much as Bowie because that mm-hmm. would be really fucking stressful. Mm-hmm. So maybe, some, yeah. Get some string arrangements going. Yeah, dude. And a genius guitar player, honestly. Like, yes. he's one of those guys that you don't, like, think of when you're like, oh, the greatest guitar players. But right. everything he does is so well well pieced together. Like, it all is so musical. Yes. Totally Could agree. not agree more. Man, that's a great answer. Way to pull that out of thin air uh what was your first live concert experience um like big concert or any... like if you just seeing some live music that you remember as a kid or however old you were assuming you saw it as a kid i think the first time i was really like super touched by being at a live music event was probably Lollapalooza because man it must have been 2008 or something like that. I didn't really go to concerts as a kid. I, this is kind of weird, but I hated music because all I heard was top forties and all yeah. my friends would mm-hmm. listen to all this garbage and, you know, cause that's how the suburbs work a lot. Uh-huh. But, uh, I would be listening to the kinks and, you know, like my dad's Zeppelin tapes and stuff and nobody, I would show them to my friends and they'd be like, what's this weird stuff we're listening to five finger death punch and i was like sorry I, <laughs> I can't i can't get with that but then um i went to lala with my dad and his friend and then my little brother and that was so cool and i saw like black lips front oh, row yeah. and it kind of like opened my eyes to how you know anyone can get there you know if you just try if you have heart and give it your all and it was such a crazy live experience. Like, man, they they were making out on stage, throwing beer at the crowd. The dude broke his guitar in half and threw it into the crowd. It was Hell yeah. a show. <laughs> so I will how, never how forget you, that. Yeah, how could you not want to do that after seeing yeah. something like that as one of your sort of like first times experiencing it? It's like this this is this is real. I'm starting yeah, to see someone's life. Yeah. And it's cool because like last year we ended up playing a show with Saint Pay, Ian Saint Pay who was in Black Lips at the time, who's gone to do his own band now. But that's like kind of full circle. I saw them, one of my first concerts, and then now I played with their guitar player. He's in his own band. Did did you share with the guitar player the impact that they had on you? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He liked (laughs) it. Oh, yeah. Sick, man. Good one. Um, If you had a time machine, where would you go? And sub-question, what gear would you buy? (laughs) oh man this is wild i feel like i would go someplace where there was no gear honestly i would go back yeah i don't know part of me wants to see like america's before colonization just to see the sprawling land and maybe kind of learn more about the land itself Mm -hmm. it'd probably be super dangerous but i'm always down for adventure and that kind of tickles me when I when you'd, I get into a dangerous like, situation. You'd be Clark, that shit. Yeah. 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 For sure. Cool. But like, that's, what that's gear? A first. 
I, yeah, I don't know. Like, yeah, what, I don't know. They had some like, some like marching snares <laughs> or something. Yeah. I don't know what the fuck they had. Oh, a flute, like some oh. some wooden carved flute or something. Yeah. There All right, go. perfect. Hell yeah. Boom. And a knife to like defend myself or bow and arrow. <laughs> Natural. All of the above, perhaps. <laughs> yeah. A uh, little a little uh, little typhoid uh, to to go with oh, it. Yes. Um, <laughs> All right, here is a question from our last guest, which if anybody listening has not, um, I have to do the thing I tell you every week, which if you haven't listened, I promise you that is also an excellent episode. So, you know, after you finish this one, go back and check it out. But this question comes from Pete Jonas, our, our previous guest. Thank you again, Pete, for, for being on. That was awesome. Uh, and his question is very simply, why do you do what you do? What 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 drives you to do the things that you do day in and day out uh, you know, creatively, artistically? All right. Um, I think about not to this. get like too heavy or anything. No, <laughs> it is kind of a heavy question, but it's also for me sort of unanswerable. Like, I was I try to describe why I like certain music, you know, like why it resonates with me, but mm-hmm. it's hard to do that because you know who am I to say that you like band A and I don't like them at all, but if they resonate with you because of what you experience, like that's who you are. Like that's your thing. Mm -hmm. And for me, like making music, writing songs, uh, producing stuff, I just, I just have to, I don't know. Mm -hmm. Like a song will pop into my head and I'll get this itch. And I guess it just brings a sense of fulfillment and joy and like to share that with other people and have, you know, positive feedback off of something you created, mainly like just from your friends. Like if other people like it too, that's great. But mm-hmm. just having that kind of community with your own friends and like creating together is so untouchable. Like it's the closest thing to family, I guess, that you can get or the closest yeah, thing man. to magic you can get is like some feeling of connectivity through literally vibrations of sound. Yeah, out of thin yeah, air. It's, it is quite literally met. a physical a physical thing that yeah. you can't see. Yeah. Uh, my question, so and, and I mean, I resonate with that completely. No, I guess pun intended. Uh, mm-hmm. But you know, if if because you, you mentioned this idea of community and audience, and obviously that's something I think we can all sort of relate to right now, or perhaps you know, miss, frankly. Yeah. Uh, but do you? I guess my question then is, do you? If if this concept of of community or or making music for others didn't exist, do you think you would still make it? Mm-hmm. Like if there was no feedback loop built into it, do you think that you would still feel? Is it about the is it about the feedback from the thing you created, or is it about the act of creation itself? Yeah, I also I think pandemics made me think about that for sure because. I used to write a lot for the crowd, I guess. Like, mm-hmm. oh, this would be cool in a live setting. Like, the audience will react this way or whatever. But I've been writing during quarantine. And I've been doing that less because there's nobody to present it to other than, like, I might not even show some of these songs to my own bands until quite later. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, I used to make songs all the time not show them to anybody except maybe like my brother or something. So yeah, it's, it's just something that is uh, part of a person's character. Like, I don't think not, maybe not every artist, but for a lot of artists, I think it's just something that is deep within and 
like I couldn't dream of getting rid of all my music stuff at this point. Like if a day came where it's like, Oh, you need to pay for X, Y, Z, like to part with my music stuff would be just so heartbreaking because it's like part of my identity. So yeah, you're, you're among like-minded folks on that for sure. Yeah. 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 I think about that pretty much every day. It's like, if, if shit really goes down, you know, there, of course, there's always this like mental packing order in my head. It's like, all right, if I couldn't sell everything else first, yeah, and then this, I still need to, what would ha- like, work, like, what's the sort of yeah. the priority? But I mean, yeah, when you've got a lot of gear, it's it can be a bit daunting. Yeah. And then you wonder, like, if if you wanted to like purchase it again, let's say you had to sell everything you had at once, and then you even if you went back and like tried to purchase similar things and try to like restock that 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 uh, that hole. Uh, it, I, it would it wouldn't feel the same you know mm-hmm. i don't think or maybe it would oh well know. dude that I, that's i feel like i go through that mental exercise every time i look at my gear it's like mm-hmm. all right well i've got these particular vintage instruments and some of them are off limits because i just love playing them so much but some of them are kind of more like in between like wouldn't necessarily be the end of the world if i had to sell it but then i think about this idea of scarcity and it's like well could i ever get that back again? Yeah. maybe not right, like, right. because they, they they stopped making it 50 years ago or like yeah Whatever, or or you know, a good example is I've got that Moog analog delay pedal, the Mogerfoger, which has gotten just insanely expensive. But it's like I think it's cool, so I'm keeping it. But I also know that they're not, they can't make them anymore because they don't have the chips anymore, and yeah. the prices are going up. So it's like, could I turn that into something for good that I would use all the time mm-hmm. that I'm not keeping for sort of like, I, it's not even investment reasons. I guess it is sort of more just like nostalgia or something that I just have this thing that I really like that, you know, means something to me beyond the actual tool usage of it. Yeah, totally. I agree. Yeah, And I wonder if there will be a point where like you, maybe you don't use it so much and you're like, well, I don't want it to sit around. Like might as well give it to somebody or sell it to somebody who will get use from it. Yeah. Totally. Like, Cause yeah. that's continuing the dream, I guess, continuing the love. Well, that's kind the of the reassurance the, of the it. tool to begin with. Yeah, yeah. exactly. The justification. And in terms of like having tons of instruments and stuff and gear, like I say, I don't know what I would part with, but I also only have a few, like I have the same guitar. The first guitar I bought, I went with my dad in Ohio to buy this guitar and I've had it ever since and I love it. And then I just built my second electric guitar and that's my only other one. Other than my yeah, acoustic, you, you have like yeah. um, the minimum of sort of like tools that you need in the tool set to accomplish the things that you need to accomplish. And I and totally. I believe in that wholeheartedly. I think as maybe we get older, or continue to acquire things or like develop different tastes in music. My my definition, at least, and I think this probably happens to a lot of people of what I deem to be necessary or the bare minimum has greatly expanded. Mm. You know, because it used to be just like, oh well, I just need an electric guitar, and then it's like, well, I need humbuckers and i need p90s and single coils <laughs> right. and then i need a bass well i need a i need a bass and then i maybe want some humbuckers and a bass and like something hollow okay well all right well now all of a sudden i'm, I'm a drummer too so then like now i've got a, like all this drum stuff and, it, and like that has just like yeah just piled on and piled on until all of a sudden you wind up with a full studio full of shit and, <laughs> and again though like quote unquote the bare minimum that i need to get by right but right. when of course you can just like do everything with a fucking apollo and a laptop at this point that's true yeah Oh, you were talking about Novation keyboards earlier too. I almost snapped on one, but I found one of those mini logs. Dude, I, uh, yeah, those are awesome. Super cool keyboard. I found it used and got it really cheap. So like, 
There's actually, I think there's That's a there's a mono, there's an Aphex Twin uh, monologue actually uh, that they, that came out. So there's like he has he's he's straddling uh, all the, uh, the the novations now. He's cornering the market. Love That's it. right. Oh hey, you know what? We never finished a couple two tree randos here, and that is because the last question is what question Ryan should we ask our next guest? Oh. Uh, and you don't get to know anything about who or they or they are or what they do or anything. Mm. Just someone in the music world also. What was the one asked by me or by to me? What would that you still was, uh, do it if no? Why no, do you do it? His question was like, "What drives you what to drives do what you, you do? Yeah. What's your motivation?" Yeah. Uh, okay. Man, what's your perfect sandwich? I think is a good question. That is awesome. Okay, and you know that means I have to ask you now. Yep. Oh, okay. uh, what is, what is your perfect sandwich? <laughs> um, dang, I used to love making sandwiches, but I don't eat meat anymore. Right. Let's yeah. See. I was going to say there's, I'm guessing there's like some sort of like cucumber or something involved. Oh, there's definitely oh, cucumber. So there's a local, uh, fresh startup vegan meat company called Palermo's unreal foods plug and they're Hello. delicious and they made visit this... Palermo's unreal Yeah, exactly. Um, but, uh, so my old boss at the Metro gave us some, uh, some samples of that. And they just started making turkey, which I'm dying to try. But I've had some really good, like, veggie turkey deli slices. So I think that's going to be part of the meat. Yeah. Going to have some cucumbers for sure. I always slice up some tomatoes. If you can get them fresh from the garden, that's great. Heirlooms are probably the best tasting. Um, And then if I could have it my way, I'd get some sprouts, throw them on there, like broccoli sprouts. Little some, brock sprouts, yes. sprouts, little alfalfa sprouts. Oh yeah, some avocado, and probably some mayo, mustard, uh, and ideally this would all be like grilled up, and then I would put. Ooh. Let's see what cheese would I use? I'm, I've been I'm liking of the, the white opinion cheddar. that like ninety eight percent of sandwiches are better hot than cold. Yep. Yeah, I agree. Throw that baby on the grill. Uh, oh. So wait, what's the bread? The bread, oh, yeah. yeah. I I probably go with sourdough because I've been making some sourdough. Oof. I mean, as I every it. good Pando member does, yep. uh, everybody <laughs> makes sourdough now. Although I tried to make my own and it like didn't. I need to get a starter. I need to get a starter from somebody else. Mine didn't like do the thing. Yeah, you know what's really reason. easy is no need bread, and it comes out great. You don't need a starter, and you just kind of let it sit there, and hmm. it takes you know overnight or whatever, but delicious. Well, that's uh, that's been. That's been uh, chatting snacks with yeah. uh, Gear Buds and Ryan here. Damn uh, let's just like let's just let's take it back a little bit, man. Uh, let's learn a bit more about how you got uh, to this place. So, uh, you, I, I believe you already mentioned, but I, I, I happen to know you grew up in in the old Ohio. So, like, mm-hmm. where, when did you start playing guitar? Or when did when did that all happen? Uh, kind of <laughs> a weird beginning. Like I said, I wasn't really into the music. Uh, what could I say? The music industry, as a kid, I was like not uh, enthused by just because of top forties radio and mm-hmm. the emo scene. What, what, what I really didn't get by? into. Um, my dad played guitar, so that was huge. He was always playing classical, like green sleeves around the house and stuff. Oh, nice! And so that was my first introduction to like being around music, like live music. But um, when I was so before Ohio, I lived in Connecticut. I went to 
this after school program and we would go to the art room and the teacher there would always be playing the Beatles. So I think that's that and like early kinks. Like I would always go to sleep listening to this kinks radio rip um, on the cassette. So I just always had that music around and I didn't think about making it until later on in high school. I was like trying to find where I fit in, like playing different sports, like trying out different things. And then, I heard what like back in black and I saw like the football kid like pretending he could play guitar and I was like, well, I could probably really play guitar and then I wouldn't have to get beat up by the football guys. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And I sucked at football. So I told my dad, I was like, can I use your little electric guitar and like learn some stuff? And then from there it just started. And I think that was, I must've been like 14. Mm Mm-hmm. And, was yeah. and then was it was it kind of like immediate you know was it the, did you like have that sort of moment where <laughs> you put it down for a while and came back to it or was it like all right this is just like the thing now it's pretty much the thing like i almost immediately tried to find friends to play with and like got really interested in learning like not theory but figuring out for myself like what chords they were playing like i always learned a lot by ear which was really fun for me kind of Mm -hmm. dissect a song and not know anything about like music you know music theory Mm -hmm. um yeah and that just kind of got me hooked and then i went into youtube um, and started finding my own music showing my friends who ended up liking you know new stuff less five finger death punch Just, I mean, only a little bit of five finger. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. there's still some, they got some always. I don't mean to call <laughs> but, them out. It's just like, I remember them. It's just listening like the fucking dumbest name I've ever heard in my life, too. Like, Pretty honestly, I don't know their music at all. And I love heavy metal and shit, but like, I don't know. You them. remember the name, but I just though. hate that fucking name. Yeah. Well, Hilarious that's true. Too. I mean, you also remember the name Anal Cunt, but that doesn't necessarily true. mean they're going to be your favorite band. <laughs> I do remember finding I them. I do love Anal I was Cunt, probably though. like, yeah, 15 or 16. I was like getting into punk and stuff, and I was like, who the hell is this band? Yeah. Ridiculous. If you want someone to remember you with like the most sort of bizarre offensive name, I guess that's that's the way to go about it. Um, I'm curious, did you, when did you, so how did you, did you, did you start writing your own songs, or was it just like trying to play song, like cover songs with your buddies? Um, it started out a lot as cover songs. Like anybody who (laughs) saw us play in high school knows that we almost played every song on the Weezer Blue album because every member of the band agreed. Yeah, like that was the shit. The only song you didn't play is No One Else because that's the only one that's not tuned down a half step. This is true. (laughs) We actually never played it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, really? Uh, Yeah. That's such a fun riff, too. I know. It's a great song. Um, But yeah, I guess it started with covers but i always felt like i gravitated towards bands where it seemed like not only attainable to play something like this but to even consider writing something like this like what drew me to a band like weezer in the beginning or like the shins or something it's like they're very complex and uh beautiful arrangements in a lot of those songs but they use such accessible like progressions and melodies and stuff so i don't know it just always made me feel like oh i want to try to do something like this and i think that came from listening to the beatles and kinks young also because they just you know you hear a lot of 
not power chords, but like you hear a lot of open chords and stuff that mm-hmm. seems really accessible. And now you, you can de- learn it pretty quickly. Yeah. And you can conceivably be like, Oh, I could maybe write something like that. And I guess it started like my own writing started not too long after I picked up a guitar Love like that. a year or something later. So what was the transition in from, you know, just this thing that you're sort of like you're, you're critically considering, but it's more so about like the experience viscerally with your friends into something that you're kind of thinking like, this is what I'm going to do professionally. How do Mm -hmm. I do that? Yeah. Well, I wasn't trying to do music. Like I um, went to college at first, not for music degree. I was in like the math and science area of things which probably lends to musicianship in a way like it's sort of mathematical and sure it's physical absolutely um but i think playing in a band during like early college years or later high school years really did make me think this is the most rewarding experience i've had in my life up to this point and I've been writing more songs and my friends have been writing songs and showing them to me. And it's just such a fun world to be part of. And it feels like I belong here. Uh, like I love all these people and a bunch of my friends ended up moving to Chicago and I would go visit them from time to time. And the music culture in Chicago is just unreal or it was, I mean, it still is just different now, but mm-hmm. yeah it was unreal at the time, like basement shows and everything. I'd never seen anything like that. Uh, so that was pretty cool. And yeah, it is intoxicating the first time you start experiencing things yeah. like that. And, and it's like, Oh wait, this, what is DI DIY? Like, right. What what are yeah. those letters? And uh, wait, I do this. Like somebody didn't do this. Like just like someone like me. And that's, that's a, that's a beautiful experience. I think probably all of us in some way experience. Yeah. More becoming musicians and then even to be on the side of it where you get to play and like there's all these people enjoying your your music or your art is just right so like you said it's so rewarding it's crazy yeah it is odd like wanting to be not like wanting to be the center of attention but doing something and then people reacting like that's super cool absolutely i i never really kind of considered it that way that is interesting that often artists tend in my experience like yeah on stage that you get the extroverted iggy pops and Mm -hmm. gg allens or whatever but like most of the artists that i know tend to be a bit more on i guess the introspective quieter gentler side of things Mm -hmm. and so then like it is it is pretty ironic that in order to like sustain that you have to go exhibit in the least introverted way possible and just like put yourself be on stage with everybody literally staring at you with actual spotlights on you yeah. in order to do this like super in- introspective thing where you're right. writing songs about yeah. feelings and whatever. Yeah. I wonder too, like, is it, uh, is something that draws people to be musicians on stage, like overcoming this fear, like facing, you know, stage fright that we probably all have had at some point. Like, well, I'm positive that's a case for me. I was the man. shyest kid ever, and and but then I started playing in bars when I was like 15 or 16 or whatever, and that just like forced me to develop that. Yeah, yeah. I remember also like I think later in high school I was really honing my craft, like playing Dinosaur Junior songs and learning actual cool solos and figuring mm-hmm. out a lot more about the guitar. And these kids who I always thought were like super cool indie 
rockers in high school. They like they were like giving me props, and I just thought that was so awesome. And it's like wow, it's just nice to be noticed. You know, like I put work into this, not really to get too much out of it other than joy, but like people are noticing that you have put in the effort and that's nice also absolutely that's that's having your cake and getting to eat it too without (laughs) even asking for it uh so you were saying you're in school did you you did you did eventually transition into like some sort of engineering program or something yeah i ended up going to columbia for their um audio design and production which i still is yeah it will never cease to amaze me how many of our guests, <laughs> I had no idea. Went to Columbia, including Dave. I went there all too. Oh, went to go. fucking Columbia for music. It's ridiculous. Yeah, it's, it's, just, it's, this, it's this. It's like a you know moth to a flame or whatever. Like it is this like you know sort of very. It's a it's in a big city and mm-hmm. it's and it's a good program. So it makes sense that it would attract a lot of people. But it's still just like it's like ninety percent of our guests. Everybody, like, <laughs> all of our guests went to Columbia. It's so crazy. At some That's point. funny. I, I maybe I should just like enroll. It's not so too I late, man. Keep it going. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the Zoom community classes, there too, man. I met so many yeah. people there who I still know, and people there who either like run their own studios now, who I work with uh, in the studio, or like I got internships with teachers, and it was yeah. invaluable, man. Yeah, and I, I felt well, like so, so, there, there oh, was. Ahead, well, I was just gonna say I felt like it, uh, everybody was kind of on the same path in a way like there were a lot of people there when I went I went for design but I took some music classes and uh, mm-hmm. you know I I know there was a lot of people who were in the same exact boat they moved from another city they didn't really know anybody and it was almost like its own community in a way like you said mm-hmm. so that was cool yeah I mean I got lucky when I moved here because my friends lived in Pilsen and they had a basement where they would throw DIY shows nice so I got some pretty dope access to that early on awesome you got to have that that entryway point. I'm curious. So, so, I mean, obviously, we've already talked about the songwriting and the guitar and Weezer, but like, <laughs> there there is definitely a transition that not everybody goes through into also then being interested in the engineering, producing, recording end of things. So, like, how did how did that? Is it the, is it? Did you just start recording your own band, or like how did how did you get into the the sort of other side of the glass? Man, this is a weird answer, but. It was like EDM. Really? Yeah. Um, hmm. Yeah, I mean, I did recorded... not expect that coming out of your mouth for nope. sure. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, because like I'd recorded, you know, on video camera or whatever, like me and my friends practicing. And I was like, how can we get this to sound better? Obviously, we'll need mics and all this stuff. But that seemed so far away at the time, like in my parents' basement. Right. There's, we're not getting, you know, a studio set up down here. But. Um, I could go on GarageBand and like create beats or whatever, or like do demos in GarageBand. I used to do that all mm-hmm. the time, like mm-hmm. sure. uh, MIDI drums, you know, like keyboard in the computer, and then like record my guitar just DI plugged into the computer. Mm-hmm. Really crude, but it was a start. And like I brought some of those, not the EDM, but I brought my uh, my rock demos to like my guitar teacher at the time. He's like, these sound really good for what you've done like plugging your guitar right into the computer i've never like heard of that even i guess like it wasn't yeah you gotta like, use like a interface. little converter to get down to the get down to like the eighth inch level yeah yeah, just, yeah. like plugging right into you your computer sound card about. yeah yeah i yeah, oh, sure do sure. yeah but really i think like, what little, got like me... an old sound blaster <laughs> sound blaster <laughs> but the the producing side of edm made me more interested because my friend group 
moving, well, like at the end of high school, early college, we were exploring the realm of like underground, like house music, IDM, and like, you know, like Aphex. And even more like raw dubstep. Uh, I never, yeah, like it was a summer for sure. It was a wild summer. But I'm not ashamed to admit when that whole like the whole EDM thing first started getting a little bit more mainstream and like Skrillex was a yeah. thing from a pure production aspect. I listened oh, yeah. to the shit out of that music because it's it like sounds Whoa, great. I've never heard anything like this before. And exactly. it's like really loud and nasty, but also like the mixes are usually really clear mm-hmm. and you can yeah. hear everything and there's like really tight bottom end. Like I that I had a similar thing. I never like had designs on necessary and i've made plenty of beats like that but i never wanted to be like an edm producer but i do know that it definitely changed the way that i thought about even producing music so it's, totally. it's interesting that you have you have had a similar sort of path to that yeah man i mean that introduced me to what eqs would do and like different mm-hmm. filter effects like flanger and whatever i mean it's weird to think about it but like it introduced me to a whole lot yeah, and it hasn't you, really you lasted. Your, but you make your like, sort of like gauzy pop music with it. But you know, at least it like it got you there to yeah. what you wanted to be. So speaking of this gauzy pop music and the things that you do, bad podcast host. I don't know if I've even mentioned yet, but you've got a couple bands at least mm-hmm. right now: Space Gators, Faux Furs, also doing this production stuff. Were those like are those bands that have been long running that you sort of formed back when you got to Chicago, or like what's the kind of timing on on your projects? Um. They're, they got their own stories. Uh, I didn't start either of them until only a few years ago. Oh, okay, cool. Space Gators was first, which only started because my friend Steven, I think it was like our junior or senior year of college, or no. I can't even remember what year this was. He, he asked my friend Adam and I if we could play a show at his house. And... I was like, we don't have a band. And he's like, that's fine. Just come play songs. I was like, okay. And then I wrote like three or four songs and we did a song from, like we did a soundtrack song from this movie, The Holy Mountain, which was really strange, but it was a, it was a vibe. And that was the first ever Space Gator show. It was me playing guitar and drums with my feet. It was Adam playing guitar and it was our friend Evan on harmonica. It was just a weird little time. Sweet. but i'll never forget it sounds it. like like your like first like your first jam setup like your friend for some reason your friend has a kick drum and yours you got a couple guitars and also there's a harmonica for yeah. some reason yeah but it works somehow and then we didn't That's know awesome. what it was gonna be and then like i don't know adam and i lived together we kept playing songs and decided like whatever let's make it a project and then we played a halloween party and kind of decided like well maybe we should get a little more serious like this is fun and Space Gators, which was Evan's idea for a name, uh, we thought that was too awesome, goofy. Awesome name. Amazing. Yeah, it, it is very goofy, and I love that about yeah. it. Yeah, we like, we're deliberating, like, what should we actually name a band that we're going to do serious songs with? And we came upon Faux Furs, which is kind of where that project started in, like, 2016 or 2017. So is, there's member, member overlap between the projects there was at first um well i mean there still is i guess the thing about space gators is that it's open invite to anyone we've had like 30 different people play in the band oh wow okay that's awesome the motto is that you're 
everyone's a space skater. They just don't know it yet. <laughs> <I love that>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then faux furs is more of like tight knit, like smaller unit kind of band, which mm-hmm. it's always been the place where I bring the songs that I just really, that come out of me with purpose, you know, space skaters is more spontaneous. Faux furs is more purposeful. I guess. Interesting. That'll, that'll offer me a new sort of context. Um, when I listen to that stuff in the future, because I, you know, I didn't really know anything of that, but I, but I did know that I, I did check out, um, in full. Finally, I, I'd, I'd heard nice little Saturday morning, which I sort mm-hmm. of already referenced, which I f- love that song. Congratulations <laughs> on that. Being Thanks. such a, goddamn earworm it can't get out of my head ever uh but you know it's on it's on the full-length record which is also awesomely named intergalactic swamp songs mm-hmm. uh and that came out this year so like how do you sort of balance that this idea of this open creative endeavor with you know bucking down and 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 strapping it in and, and making a, a record that you put out in the world that one was crazy we sat on that record for like two years i don't know we wanted to put it on vinyl. I guess that was the only thing we were holding back for. And it mm-hmm. worked out, which is insane. That's but, the best feeling ever. Yeah, dude. I have vinyl of my own music. That's so cool. Yeah, it's so cool. Um, getting, getting those first test pressings, it's like, what? Yeah, and shout out to Smash Plastic and Midwest Action. Dan over there for helping us get that dream to become a reality. Major shout uh, out. We will have to, we'll have to get Smash Plastic on. Oh, that'd be sweet. Oh, that'd point. be amazing. Great people. Um, but yeah, that was, I mean, it was arduous, man. I like, I recorded and mixed it all. So it was just a lot of uh, going, you know, how I'm, how being a musician and engineer, especially of your own stuff, can become a little bit of like a perfectionist game. That's definitely me. So glad you brought that up. This is very much one of the things that we, I feel like we've been talking about a lot lately and, and you're the perfect person to have sort of an extension of this conversation because yeah, like the idea of writing and recording this and then being the same person that's also tasked with making objective, you know, mixed sort of like science-based decisions that are not that shouldn't be as influenced by like well i think my guitar part's real cool so i'm just gonna like push that up to the top give me some extra flange on it um how do you like do you have do you go in with a specific mindset where you're thinking like okay i'm in ryan mix engineer mode or i'm in ryan you know ripping guitar solo mode like how do you i guess how do you compartmentalize that or do you Mm. compartmentalize that man that's interesting. I don't think I get myself in the zone too often, like in a specific zone, but okay. I think it happens. Like I don't force myself, but I think it happens naturally after a time. Like if I'm recording my own guitar, let's say, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> I'll spend way too long getting the tone. But then once I start playing it and getting the riffs, I just like can't stop. I don't know. It's just like, oh my God, it's all sounding almost exactly how I want it. And the closer you can get to that, the better. But So it becomes more of a honing the tone than the performance thing? No, it's, it's definitely a mixture. Because I think okay. as you get the tone, the performance will become better because that's that feeling. like You want to hear yourself doing the cool sounding thing. So the closer you can get it to sound to that while you're playing it the better 
you know, I couldn't agree more. I've, I've said this a lot of times, but, uh, there, you know, there is something to be said for feeling cool while you're playing your instrument. Right. It's, it, it feeds back into, it's this loop that just expands itself into, into awesomeness. So yeah, Yeah. it's like, it's, it, it, it's, it can be as simple as getting a good cue mix on the headphones going or Mm -hmm. or whatever. Just like if you have, if you're having not a not ideal experience, then you're probably not going to put out an ideal product or i don't even like calling it a product of whatever an expression mm-hmm. yeah um, output it's hard to pinpoint that it's just hard to pinpoint that kind of thing though because if you have an on day you have an off day you never know yeah and sometimes you are going to have that off day i think something for me at least that as long if i put in at least some effort every day something good t- always comes from that even if it mm-hmm. isn't like I'm, i don't write the best song in the world or something you know i might have maybe i learned a new technique or i heard something a different way or whatever it is like there's putting in the work is always good even if it doesn't lead to you know your next hit or something yeah. in my experience Dude, mm-hmm. totally actually the other day i was like in the exact same mindset of that like i need to write a song right now i just need to get something out there because it's been however long and I forced myself to like put something together and I recorded a demo and sent it to the Fofers and I really ended up loving what I made not really expecting or or having any like path that I was going on at first Mm -hmm. but I like came out with something that I was proud of so it it does go to show that if you put yourself in a zone you can come out with something that you love but also if you don't come out with something you love that's fine like at yeah. least you try it's all part you, of the process yeah it's like i don't know you you exerted that energy and it was good energy for a good cause like a positive force on your brain dude um that i'm glad you used that that terminology terminology because i wanted to ask you about this idea of sharing energy or using energy um as someone that is in space gators is in faux furs is a producer is writing music you know like how how do you personally handle yourself i mean obviously right now things are different we all have different time and whatever but like in general being like how do you budget your time or your energy like how do you think about using yourself for your projects in the best way possible yeah it's tough to be doing so many things i've sort of delegated more to other members in the bands at least like not with with writing the songs i'll just come forward with a song and be like what do you think like let's try to play this but other than that like so for the space gators record for example um i didn't want to be the one dealing with all that so it was kind of more of a group effort so mm-hmm. i could be more hands off and it was i think everyone appreciated that and um that's sort of how it's becoming with faux furs over the last couple years um although that is sort of where i helm most of the decision making that project Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um but it's cool because with those folks like especially now there's no rush you know there's no point in rushing something out exactly yeah i just think we're all in the mindset of we want to put out this record next year or hopefully next year who knows but we want to put out this record that really uh, shows what we feel like what's what's honest, you know, put out the most honest music you can for you, but also 
people people resonate with that honesty i really think like you listen to alex g or at least i listen to alex g and it's just like not maybe not the best recordings or whatever but there are these songs that need to exist somehow and that kind of comes across so that's what we're trying to do there but there's no rush and so it's easier to give time to producing with other people and you know working other jobs if the bands are a little more lax like nobody's really too bent up about what we're gonna make and like all the business end junk right. i just think that gets too muddled i certainly yeah, don't want to deal with it putting a little cart before the, the horse in some ways too mm-hmm. yeah um so you you know obviously we're talking about making this record and and even before we got started we were talking a little bit I mean obviously you've done a lot of work over at Jam Deck and um, it sounds like that you now have your own space and and is that over at Superior Street where I, I don't think we even really talked about this that's how you and I first met we worked together mm-hmm. at what is I guess sort of like an audio engineering gig but really winds up being a lot more <laughs> customer service than anything else yeah office. Um, computer yeah, setting right exactly so um how, so what's what's your current setup like you you've got your own space now over at superior yeah um it's a practice room i mean it's pretty big yeah but i've got i just got a little rack from girls rock chicago shout out to madeline nice. our other co-worker Heck um yeah. so yeah i got a little gear rack in there i got a bunch of mics up on our shelf and yeah we got a little drum corner there's a bunch of good sound dampening foam it sounds pretty good like the room you can record drums there totally uh complete like i have my interface with eight or 16 channels Mm -hmm. and then um all the guitar amps you know it's it's not so much a room for live recording maybe Mm -hmm. but you could do that uh Depending on the vibe, yeah, if, you, if yeah. you're okay with Bleed and all that kind of shit. We did guys... one live recording. Space Skaters did a cover of Ghost Town by The Specials, and that was really cool. Actually cool. came out great. Ooh, is that is that out in the world? Um, I don't think so. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, like, I want to hear that, man. <laughs> I know. Well, okay, I made a video for it, and I need to, I need to um, finish the end of it, because it was like, literally five in the morning because it was due the next day for the streaming whatever tv show um Mm -hmm. um and i was like i can't finish this end edit it's just gonna look not like the rest of the video but that's fine it sounds great so uh, i've been slacking on finishing the end of that but it'll be up it'll be all right well maybe that'll be that'll be the little little kick in the butt you need to (laughs) to get that out because i i definitely want to hear it and i'm gonna just keep complaining until i do that's what i do uh I wanted to ask you a bit, do, like this might be a bit of a, a bit of a, a general question or tough to answer, but I'm curious, and I like to ask anyways. Do you do you find do you yourself have what you'd consider to be a sort of I guess defined recording philosophy? Like, uh, if someone were to come to you, do you feel like you have a certain way of things that you like doing, a certain way that you like doing things, or do you generally let the project more so dictate how you approach it? Hmm. I have ways that I like doing things, definitely. Um, Could you like give an example or two of certain specific things? Is that down to like how you'd mic a kick drum, or, or more so like how you you know interact with a human being? I think oh, interacting. I just always want to make people as comfortable as they can be. 
not treat it so much like, like we said, like a business transaction. Like I want yeah. to be there for the experience. And, you know, my goal is to get awesome sounds, uh, mm-hmm. but also for you to enjoy yourself while you're getting those sounds because that'll lead to better performances, et cetera. Um, but like miking guitars, I pretty much always do the same. Like I'll use usually a dynamic, almost almost exactly placed each time. Um, and then for drums, I guess it depends on the project. Uh, yeah. Yeah, because like lately I've been getting into close miking toms, which I used to never do just because I liked kind of that John Bonham. Uh, um, God, what, what like word Jones. am I thinking? Yeah, like John Bonham's kind of philosophy that the drums are one instrument, not all these different instruments. Right. Sure. I, yep. I dig that, but it is like project by project. So like a late, but it can't, I do the, I do the same thing, man, though. I've been getting into close micing towns, but then you just throw a little gate on them. So like yeah. it just fills it out when you need to. And then, and then it's, it's not adding any extra noise or anything totally. to your normal setup when you're not using them. Yeah. Cause like I'm doing some productions right now that are, you know, very kind of, I guess you could say they're produced sounding like they're big and, uh, you want that big fat Tom feel, let's say, or that big mm-hmm. kick. But then there's other projects where there's more of an old school feel. So you don't want all that and you want it to kind of be a more confined instrument. So in that case, yeah, it's definitely project by project. Okay, for sure. And then when I go into mixing, it's a whole other world. I've just been learning so much about my own technique over the course of the last like six months. Just because I've been Anything, doing uh, it so top much. of mind? Um, Technique-wise or, or th- things that you've noticed maybe about your old work that you'd go back and change? Yeah, well, I always have had issues with low-end, like I think a lot of people have. Yeah, and that's a room. That's the room as much as anything else. Sure. And then I think just getting that controlled has been a pretty eye-opening experience or giving it space, like giving all these things their own space to live um it's just Making becoming sort of like drastic uh instrument level eq moves to yeah, give them space definitely eq I've, I've become a little more lenient like if i need to hear this part of this like boost that shit man i want to hear that cool part exactly right cut a, cut a little something next to it boost boost where you want to hear it yeah like i'm not trying to make a steely dan record here <laughs> um well I mean, that makes one of us because I'd love, love to make a Steely Dan <laughs> yeah. record. I mean, yeah, yeah. Maybe one day I'll make a Steely Dan record. Exactly. But for right now, I'm just like trying to toy with everything and understand um, as many aspects of all these different tools. Like you just mentioned those free plugins from, what was it? Uh, uh, that is from, if Malta. you go to Mel- meldaproduction.com. Melda. Yeah like using new plugins all the time is just so fun because you never know what they're going to do to the sound. You kind of have to, it's hard to get a ton of plugins because you have to learn what you have. And then if you get yep. new oh, stuff, yeah. you got to learn that as well as the other stuff. You know, so, we were just talking about bottom end and plugins. I have to say it's something that I've been using a lot lately. That is like my new favorite discovery of all time. And I'm sure half mm. the people listening to this are going to be like, well, fucking duh. <laughs> um, but uh, there's, I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm a major proponent of the universal audio world UAD platform and mm-hmm. the, the UAD version of the um, little labs voice of God plugin mm. is 
instantly you just put it on like it's only got i think it's two knobs and three buttons but you put it on either a direct like a bass track or bass a bass drum track if you like Mm -hmm. if you've got maybe like an outside bass drum that you're just strip uh, mic that you're strictly using for like subby bottom end you throw that on there with the boost at like 40 hertz and it's just like holy shit this is what the bottom end on a modern bass drum sounds like or like there's that sub content that i was missing on a a bass plugin and it's like you almost can't fuck it up like you 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 know you turn the knob a little bit and it's like oh that's too much turn it down and then you're and then that's it it's set that's so, sick anybody out nice. there check out voice of god it's awesome I might, i'll have to check that out i haven't used yeah. that ever but yeah i've definitely you, once been you hear it you're gonna be like oh stuff. is it like a harmonic? i've heard that thing yeah bass it's like a, a sub harmonic uh, yeah exactly that's exactly what that's it awesome yeah, yeah i love that stuff i've definitely been using more of that lately like um saturation and harmonic distortion to mm, place yeah. things and make them feel more alive especially like di recording DI keyboards, DI bass, you need a little bit extra dirt. Got to zhuzh it up a little bit. Oh, right. yeah. Oh, yeah. All right. So this is GearBuds, um, and, and this has been an actually a super excellent deep conversation that I'm super thankful for, and mm-hmm. thank you for your your candor and openness, Ryan. Uh, I do want to – I just want to – before we get out of here, I if you're all okay with it, I have – I was thinking about this – actually, I saw it on a on, – it might have been the gear page or one of those gear forums that we all go on, and uh, this question was posed, and I wanted to pose it to you all and see what your thoughts were on it. It's I, I, it, Frankly, it's a philosophical question, but it is posed through the guise of, of fenders. So, question – if I buy a genuine fender body, like a strap body, and a genuine fender neck with like a serial number in the whole thing, you know, it came from a guitar, and then I buy every piece of the strat from Fender or like a, fr- a Fender vendor or what a Fender vendor, bro. Um, <laughs> if I do all of that, is what I just created, is that a genuine Fender Stratocaster or is that a parts caster? Oh, man, the age old question. That's funny. I'd say it's Dave, genuine. I'm going to you first, buddy. Oh, all right. oh Ryan. All right, great. Let's do you it. Think genuine? Ryan, what do you got, man? Ryan? Hold on. Here's the thing. It's a tough one. That I, I honestly see both sides of it. Yeah. Now, I'm thinking about the factory, okay, where these guys put it together to spec. Yes. You don't have that. And they have do not. all of their little equipment and they're measuring devices, and they set it up probably a specific way to fender spec. So in that respect, maybe it's not so genuine. But all the parts are. Mm, and now right. if you are a certified like fender technician and you put it together, yeah, I would say that's genuine. Okay, so you're, you're, you're team genuine. Dave, what do you got? Yeah, I mean... Man, and as a as a Fender boy, this is uh, it's a tricky one for me, man. Because I I remember reading on forums about this years ago, and they would just be like, "Oh, it's forty it, it pages is the old question." You're right, oh. dude. People like arguing back and forth and calling each other names. Um, yeah, man. I mean, I I think I'm gonna call it a, like a parts caster, basically, or a Frankencaster, however you want to yeah. uh, describe it. I mean, even if you're using the parts, like like Ryan said, I I think if you I think if you put it together, see, here's the other argument. It, let's say you got, let's say you ordered a, a genuine Fender from Musician's Friend or whatever, and you get it, you're, you still might want to do a setup on that guitar. You still might want to end mm-hmm. up, you know, taking a few parts off and putting of it back course, together. Yeah. So at that point, you know, I don't know. That's a really tricky one, man. I got to say. Does that become uh, a parts caster if you put in your own if pickup you put afterwards? It, I don't, <laughs> no. I don't, th- I, no, I, I don't think so. I think that. <laughs> I and I do and I honestly I think Ryan I think you kind of nailed where I come from with it in that it is sort of 
in the act of creation. You know, for me to call something a genuine Fender Stratocaster, to me, that should be built at the Fender factory by Fender yeah. employees. Yeah. Now, of course, like everybody knows, unless you're talking about master built or even custom shop to an extent, like right. Fender by design was made to be a modular guitar. It yeah. was designed to be a working person's guitar where if you fucking broke the neck, you could Leo could send you a new one. Literally, and it doesn't matter. They could pull another one off the pile yeah. and it with four screw four bolts and a plate. Right. You know, the they were literally you know, these like, and we've talked about this a lot, but like these Holy Grail guitars, they were just liter- quite literally grabbing pickups out of a bucket. Oh, yeah. It wasn't like they were like matching anything or nope. whatever. So that part of it doesn't do it for me. But I, I don't I don't think in this scenario that I laid out, you put all that shit together, I don't think that that's a genuine Fender Stratocaster. Now, now I would, I would call that a parts caster or a Franken caster. To answer it, I think if I owned one, let's say I owned one that I put together, I think I would still call it my Fender. You know what I mean? Yeah, so totally. I, I, I don't know if I'd put the word genuine in front of it, but uh, right. I'd, I'd still be like, you know, that is my Fender Strat. So, hmm. you know, that's... And uh, let me be clear. Interesting I have no I have no hatred or ill will towards any sort of parts caster i any guitar if it feels good to you and it makes you happy and you bring something out of you like play it i don't i do not give a shit yeah Uh, is it something that i would invest money in absolutely not because i unless it's like the best guitar i ever played i there's a chance i'm going to want to sell that thing again and parts casters are not worth no all the same components you could literally put together your own strat but that guitar is not as worth as much on the open market you'll as spend like twice as much strat putting was. that thing together too <laughs> right so yeah. like that is kind of the the reason that i'm not particularly interested in it yeah um, but also at the same time like who gives a shit too like it's i i don't think it's something worth getting upset about but it is still it, it honestly now i can't remember who the philosopher was but it reminds me of that old it might have been ptolemy or somebody where it's like the you know you have a you have like a dreadnought like ship like a battleship right and then over time you replace, replace every single board yeah. and screw oh, yeah. on is that it ship is ship? it still that sh- same ship and, and i mean the and all that stuff yeah that's a bit different because again it started from being a quote-unquote genuine battleship right? right and then you just like quickly or quietly slowly throughout the years upgraded it whereas the other thing is like someone just like buys parts from a bunch of different ship manufacturers puts them together i don't think you're going to call it that genuine whatever battleship you know what's we're talking about. Yeah. what's funny about this man you because you got me thinking about my jazz base which is uh it's a genuine 62 neck it's a 66 body it's uh 62 pots but then like one of the pickups is a real 62 the other is an 82 it's it's slapped together the the neck plate is like some reissue neck plate that doesn't even have a stamp on it um that's technically a parts guitar, but I yeah. call it, you know, I call yeah. it a 62 Fender jazz bass all the time. <laughs> I think it's a jazz, it's definitely a jazz bass, but like it is a parts bass. Like, yeah. and there's that, it that really is, is just like by definition. And I know? would have to it's sell a cool it as ass such parts bass. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. and you, they're like cool fucking vintage Holy Grail parts, but it's still Isn't that funny, a parts though? bass. Yeah, I've never really, yeah. really thought about it like that. I used to not like parts guitars, and now I built one and I love them. Oh, yeah. What did you build? Because I was you made, you you made you it yourself. Because you said you uh, built one. What, what is it exactly? I've been looking at it this whole time. You're talking about parts, guitars. Um, it's a jazz master. So I found the body at my friend's house. Like I was about to buy it off Craigslist and I walked into his basement. I was like, dude, are you selling that on Craigslist? I was about to buy yeah. it. And he's like, no way. that's awesome. Yeah, dude, take it. Because I don't have time to build a guitar or anything. So it was routed for jazz master. Uh, I got a neck from Warmoth. Um as one does. Good next, yeah, solid. And I got paint. I had to cut my own pick guard and put in the electronics. Um, got pickups from some guy in New Jersey. It's really cool. 
Do you have it set up like a traditional jazz master, or how do you have it set up? Yeah, yeah. Nice. Pretty much all, awesome. all traditional. I feel like, honestly, my favorite parts uh, bass to build a, a parts guitar is the jazz master, for yeah. sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's so much cool shit you can do with it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've never owned one, and this is really exciting for me, too. Like, I did my own paint <laughs> job on it. Ooh. Did you paint it like I, the I real deal, like that. with nitro and all that, or did you throw like nitro? On it? No, yeah, it was wow. nitro. Beautiful. But also, it's got a really nice uh like maple finish on the body so i left that open on the back so it's like blue on the front no wood shit. in the back it's that just is classy as hell it's just a joy to have something like that you made it's like writing a song you're like oh can i do this maybe and mm-hmm. if it turns out okay then that's good enough for me like nobody else has to see this guitar but i love right. it right right i love that what a fort- what a fortuitous way to tie it all back together that i absolutely could not have even planned if i tried so <laughs> I, l- I love when things just luck- luckily happen like that, and they tend to happen a lot with you, Ryan, because you're just a, you're just a great guy. Oh uh, man! If um, if anybody listening to this would like to listen to your music or perhaps hire you to do the amazing work that you do, uh, and I also happen to know that, and and I'm and I just want to quickly say uh, that I'm sure that I'm going to get a great file from you because I remember you also doing some podcast editing, uh, freelance as well. So I yeah. know that um, you know you know how to how to not uh, make my life hell tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> whenever I edit this. Yeah. Um, but anyways, if anybody would like Hopefully. you to do these sorts of things for you or check out your stuff in the world, uh, where would you send them? Well, if you want to contact me for any reason, uh, you can email me deaf waves, uh, D E F F waves at Gmail. If you want to check out my bands, that's space gators and faux furs. And they're both on Facebook and Instagram fofers.com for access to that spotify Bandcamp, etc space gators has a website but it's like on wix so you just have to look up space gators and i think it'll pop up um and just we're also it, we're all on Bandcamp. Yeah. hit it up awesome. space Welcome gators got records out uh physical lps baby heck yeah and we're all working I towards need, the I future one of those yes we are well hey Ryan, thank you thank so you, much for joining us. I like I said before, I, I've been I've been aching to have you on for a while and it went even better than I could have hoped for. So man. again, thank you for taking the time. I know you've got a you've got a gig in like half hour here. Yeah, this was so fun though. About to head into the studio with a huge old smile on my face. Oh Love it, I'm man. glad to hear that. Thanks for being on. Ryan, I'm glad I'm glad you're uh, you're you're healthy and well. It's good to hear your voice. Miss you. You guys too. And, uh, you know, everyone out there in the world, just just uh keep on keeping on. That's right. Right on.